Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello, Chris Evans here. Thank you for downloading this week's podcast of The Best of the Breakfast Show with Sky from Virgin Radio. Coming up, ACDC Rock, Bayamos, Brian Johnson and Angus Young headbang through their brand new single, Shot in the Dark. Scottish literary genius Ian Rankin tells tales behind his 26th Inspector Rebus book, A Song for the Dark Times. The sweetheart of British telly, Claudia Winkleman, gives us the lowdown on her lockdown-penned new book, Quite. And Spice Girl, Mel C invites us to boogie with her through her eighth solo album, Melanie C. All of that and loads more still to come. Now, Dave, Dave, who's first? There's been a disturbance in the rock and roll force recently, but we're pleased to report order has been restored. Their new single, Shot in the Dark, is out today and the new album is on the way. They are back in black and 2020 just got a whole lot rosier. Please welcome from ACDC, the legendary Brian Johnson and Angus Young! Come in, Angus. Whereabouts are you? What the, what the heck is the time, wherever you are? Uh, it's in the evening, getting up to about nearly half past eight, and uh, I'm out here in Sydney. We're recording this interview That's on right. Monday, and it's Brian's birthday today, as you may have just heard. Uh, Brian, I haven't seen you for ages. Um, wh- what are you doing later for your birthday drinks, and uh, where do I need to be, and when? What am I doing on my birthday? I, 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 interviews, mainly, but... <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, no, I'll probably get together with some buddies tonight and have a nice dinner, you know, and uh, get, get blotted. <laughs> get blotted. <laughs> so you said um, the phone's been ringing all morning, Brian. Who's who's the most interesting person you've had a happy birthday of apart from us lot? I think Donald Duck Don, who nobody knows, but he's a bass player with uh, Booker T and the MGs. <laughs> he was a character. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. We'll take that. Um, Angus, what have you got him for his birthday, apart from a new single? I'll need to get it, uh, you know, zoomed out to him, but uh, I'll, I'll think of something good. Yeah, probably, you know, he likes good old... Uh, he's a big fan of old war books. I'll get him a, I'll get him a good war book. Happy birthday. Okay, here's here's another catastrophe. Happy birthday. All right, anything but a catastrophe is is this new single. Now, Angus, uh, many of us feared this would never happen this day again. It has. When did the process begin this time around? Yeah, 2018, around August, uh, we all got together. Brian, myself, Cliff, Phil, and my nephew, uh, uh, Stevie. And uh, it was a case of, you know... Had a lot of material from over the years that me and Malcolm, my brother, had done, and uh, we just wanted to get in a studio and see, you know, how we would do all, you know, it, how it would all go together, you know. And uh, it was really good. It was, you know, everyone was really vibey and everyone wanted to be on board. Uh, so, you know, I, I think the result speaks for itself when you hear the album, you know, you know it's definitely, you know, uh, 
good, good, powerful album from us. Yeah, yeah, it's a full-on ACDC sound. I've heard the single. I haven't heard the album yet. Can't wait to hear the album. So, Brian, um, what was that like for you? What was that trepidation like for you? You know, was there a was there a, a will she or won't she moment? Do you ever did you ever worry that this this day might not come again? Uh, well, obviously, but you know, once we got together again and uh, we got into that studio you know the i don't know the feeling of you know like uh, family can i say that uh does it sound too puny but you know we just had a bond that just builds well for nearly 40 years you know and uh and we've gone to the studio and the boys you know fired up you know the the gear and we started hearing the stuff that ang had brought in which was just you know, to us, we were just going, oh, my God, that's good stuff. <laughs> and it's just that feeling, you know, we just got ch- charged, you know. And it was uh, it was wonderful because it has been a long time. And, uh, you know, and, and it was just, I don't know, it was just a great feeling. And I think it's come out under the music, you know, that lovely, you know, dare I say, you know, youthful kind of charge, you know, we just... Ah, uh, they're always youthful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, but it's so, so true, know, it was, though, it, isn't it? it That's was so great. True. And I, you know, it's just one of them good things that, that happens, you know. You know, I kind of wait to get, you know, once this COVID thing's gone, mm. hopefully, you know, we could even talk about, you know, getting out, getting up there and playing live, you know. That would be just, uh, that would be brilliant. If you get the green light, right, how quickly can you get on the road? Hmm. What do you reckon, Ang? Oh, well, yeah, I, I guess if you said, yeah, you know, get get together a couple of weeks, you know, putting everything together, I would think. Yeah, simple as that. Wow, that's yeah. impressive. Uh, Brian, we all know what you like to do in your spare time. Um, if it's not cars, it's making shows, tele, tele shows with other amazingly talented people. How's that been oh, going? Oh, uh, I love me cars, you know, as do you, you know, but, uh, you know, just the car not you know and uh, like to go on these uh, you know rallies you know nice and easy no i used to used to race but no. <laughs> it's getting I a run along, i run along beside him <laughs> yeah <laughs> so when i go on these uh, rallies now which are great which is just uh, just lots of fun and lots of uh, car nuts getting together. Angus, what do you like to do in your downtime? I'm, I'm, I'm a big watcher of old TV, if, uh, you know, if there's, you know, I'm, I'm usually scouring the things, looking for old series, you know, like shows like the Beverly Hillbillies or the Monsters or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> the Monsters, I love it! <laughs> Don't forget F Troop there. <laughs> I mean, it, that's real art, you know. I watch the high cultural stuff. Yeah, of course you do. And there's so much of it nowadays. Have you seen any of Brian's interview shows on Sky? Yeah, I've seen. I've seen. Uh, I think a few few times I've seen him on there, but okay. I see him live. So I, I you know, <laughs> what's the point? <laughs> <laughs> Angus, is there anything you haven't achieved yet in music that you would want to? You know, or are you? Are you? I'm not done. You're not. It's not over. But uh, you know, is are you? Are you content musically? Is every, is everything? Have all the boxes been ticked? I like doing what I do. This is what I I do best. Yeah. yeah, is making, you know, 
Yeah, it, it's just making, you know, songs and ideas and playing, you know, with ACDC. That's what really what I do best. Love it. Right, OK. <laughs> uh, cheers. Happy birthday. Bye-bye. Love you guys. Get out there soon. Bye-bye. Come on. OK, thank the, you. The world Bye-bye. needs you. The world Bye. needs Bye. ACDC. Come on. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. From the ballroom to sewing bees, our next guest is a presenter that can do it all. Her debut book, Quite, is out now and here with her take on life's most taxing subject, including melted cheese, voicemail and eyeliner. It's the hostess with the mostess. It's the quite all right. Claudia Winkleman. All right, Claude. That was very lovely. When I heard you'd written a book, I thought, that's not like Claudia, because that means she's going to have to be interviewed about it. And she doesn't like being interviewed about anything. By the way, and you know how bad I am. I'm so bad at being... There's nothing I could... I mean, I've, 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 somebody interviewed me yesterday. I said, whatever you do, don't buy the book. Let's talk about you. And, yeah, the publishers are livid. There's nothing I can say well, that you, makes it all right. You don't say dissimilar on page one. You do... It's, it's like you give some kind of warning of, to people I who might to. not want to buy the book. Because, you know, the, often, you know, in bookshops, you'll turn to the first page, you read the first page, and basically you say, this might not be for you. A, it might not be for you, and B, in most books they have quotes from brilliant people on there going, whatever you do, buy this book. And instead we use quotes from my kids who were like, my, I think my eight-year-old said, can I highly recommend a David Williams instead? I was like, yeah, we'll put that on the book. That'll be fine. I mean, lockdown happened and I thought, and I was very bad at homeschooling. I don't know, but I was chronically, I thought, we've always known that teachers are extraordinary, but I was... I was amazed about the amount of patience I'd have. So I was like, right, I've got to get my husband to do that. I'll, maybe I'll just try and write. And I used to write a column for the Sunday Times. You know, so I was like, maybe I'll write something important or something interesting. And neither of those things happened. Turns out I wrote about eyeliner and melted cheese and why you should never go out with somebody you can't get you in a cab with Vim. And I can't apologise enough. Well, you did and you didn't, Claudia, because I have to pull you up there. Because some of it's silly, but some of it's really sincere. And we think you're conflicted with your writing. Do you? Yes, I do. (laughs) I love you. Well, some of it... I mean, I write about nurses. I write about my eldest leaving home. I write about the wonder of teachers. I wrote a lot about art. I didn't realise, but that just sort of came tumbling out of me because I studied it forever and my dad used to let me only look at one painting when I was little and anyway, I fell in love with it. And then, but then nobody just wants to read that for me. And then I've also got to write, you know, I wrote 4,000 words about sports day and the horror of the egg and spoon and how insane I get. So, yeah, it's all there. No, it is, it is. No, don't apologise for it. I know you play the irony card, uh, which is your calling card, and I love it. But there is definitely two Claudies in this book, and that I found that fascinating. That wasn't your intention, but that's what screams off the page. That's it. It was not my intention. I mean, I just like banging away at a laptop, and I really enjoyed it. And I said to HarperCollins, who are the sweetest publishers in the whole, I was like, genuinely, you mustn't take it. You know, if it's... And they went, look, have a go. Have a go, and it got me out of making inedible food. One day I made butternut squash with sardines. Can you imagine? And um, and they said, have a go. And then I was like, well, sort of, this is what I've done. What do you, you know, but it's absolutely up to you. 
So you have the comical stuff um, and you have the um, the real stuff. So like, you know, school trip to Venice and things like that. And the flow to those to those pieces is absolutely gorgeous. The funny stuff is genuinely really funny. And my wife absolutely loves it. She, I love it when she Aww. does all this stuff. Uh, but I, I've got to tell you, I prefer the other stuff. Hey, by the way, it's not a comparison. It's not, I'm, I yeah, am yeah. making a comparison, but it does, it's, it does it it can be incomparable. It's just that it is a fantastic book, so congratulations. But which, oh, which did you find easiest or was one a break from the other and is it the perfect combo the two claudias i well i don't know it's a, such a good question i found uh you know i liked i mean let's not use the word funny that's a slight exaggeration no, but it but, is funny you can't say you're, you know, you're always you you sell this you, you play the self-deprecating card all the time but you know i don't mean to i don't mean to do it because i know it's annoying i i don't mean that it's just because i wouldn't class my i you know i wouldn't call myself a writer you know i felt more like but you've got a book out well, I know it's confusing, isn't it? Did you it? have a ghost? But, did somebody ghostwrite it for you? No, right. Absolutely so you've not. written a book, so therefore you're a writer. So get over okay. it, okay? All right, you're very sweet. Okay, I love, <laughs> I love this. This is brilliant. <laughs> Bit of mentoring, got you. Um, so I, I liked both, and what I did is uh, I sort of have eight pieces on the go at the same time, so I could go in and write quite a lot about you must stay with the boy if he runs you a hot bath. And shouting, I've turned the taps on, is not running a hot bath, just so we're clear. And so I did all of that, and that was a laugh. But then there were some things that I wanted to get down, like nurses or like my eldest leaving home or uh, the bit where you bring the baby home from hospital or whatever, it, you know. And so I, I saw them as more not a book but a collection of columns i suppose or essays yeah, i think they call them essays. A, it's a collection of claudias so you know if yeah. you're if you're an autobiography you could call it i claudia as opposed to i claudia <laughs> but you should call it we claudia because because yeah. you know we all have different versions of ourselves for different places different people and you know we have we even have different versions of ourselves for ourselves and once you accept that it's okay that's absolutely right and also in the bits that are uh where i'm taking the mic and i'm going um, you have to find a boy who will laugh at your joke 14 times. You know, my best friend, she's the funniest person in life. She'll sit there, she'll tell the story. And what I love most is I look over at her partner who is glowing in her, uh, sort of in, in the fact that we all love the moment. And he's heard that story. It happened two weeks ago. I, and it's a big build-up and it's funny. You know those nights when you're out with friends and you're knackered and you don't want to go and you go and you find yourself banging the table because you're laughing so hard. So even though I write it with... Um, it's like a mick take I really do mean it no, you... you know so there, I really think that being with somebody who when you're about to get to the punchline goes oh god this again or it didn't happen like that or does anybody <laughs> want some wine you know you know those boys where you're like oh this is all a bit uncomfortable uh, I think you should move out um, so even that you know or I I'm in sports day idiot um, and I you know anyway whatever so I sort of wang on about that <laughs> And this desperate need, we all have to be perfect. We shouldn't do that. Yeah. So I think that sort of underlies. Right. But I, I mean, who knows? All right. Brilliant. Thank you. Claudia Winkleman's Quite is out now. Love, Life and Eyeliner. And it's uh, published by Harper Collins from this very building. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. Dabba Dave, over to you. Who are we talking to next on the show? He's written more smash hit crime thrillers than you've had hot dinners. The latest instalment in his Rebus series, A Song for the Dark Times, is out now. And here to walk through the murky back streets and beyond is a man that writes thrilling crime that's akin to a fine wine. It's the superb Ian. 
Ian Rankin. Good morning, Ian Rankin. Hey, morning from Edinburgh. How are you? I'm okay, thanks. It's a bit early for me, but let's keep going. <laughs> a song for the dark times. It's already out. People are already loving it. They've texted us in there. Thousands, well, hundreds, definitely, uh, to tell us. <laughs> I'd like to say thousands, but I'd be lying. But you'll take hundreds. God bless you. You'll take hundreds, won't you, Ian? Oh, well, I'll That's take hundreds just, at, this, at this stage in the game. Yeah, yeah. Just to this show. Ian Rankin, uh, the new John Reeves thriller, A Song for the Dark Times. It is out now. It's been out since last Thursday, as I say. So a few circumspects uh, questions about it, first of all. Is the bit about John Lennon and Yoko Ono true? Uh, yeah, if you mean about them having a car crash and ending up in a hospital in Goldsby, which is in northeast of Scotland, yes, it's true. That is they were true. heading up towards they were heading up towards Durness. Durness is way up on the north coast, very close to where the action in my book takes place. Uh, Rebus walks into a pub and the first thing he sees is a photograph of John Lennon. And he asks why, and he said because the guy had family connections here. He used to have family holidays. Uh, up in the north coast of Scotland. He also had family in Edinburgh. There's photographs of him wandering around the streets of Edinburgh. Um, and yeah, the, he, he and, uh, and Yoko and uh, one or two of the kids were heading up to the north of Scotland. The car went off the road. We're not sure why. They ended up in hospital, um, where, of course, he was asked for his autograph. You know, lying in, lying in a hospital bed, recovering <laughs> from a car crash. Yeah. Uh, and somebody was asking for his autograph. So, yeah, that did happen. That would be a selfie, of course. So... Like uh, like um, Rebus and his associates, past and present and hopefully future, have a murder wall back at headquarters. Do you have a fun fact wall that, and you want to get some fun facts in your novel? <laughs> no, they just it's serendipity. It's the it's happy chance finds. You know, I mean, until I until I went on this drive up to the far north of Scotland to, to you know look at the place where I was going to set the book, I'd kind of forgotten that John Lennon story. I'd forgotten that he had family up there. There's a kind of garden in his memory that's up in Durness. Um, and I just thought, well, it been you know, I'm a music fan. I'm a huge music fan. Um, the book has music in it, a song for the dark times. I mean, it's actually, you know, got a song in the title. I just thought it would be really nice to get a John Lennon mention uh, in, in the book. Because, I mean, you know, Edinburgh prides itself on having an original member of the Beatles, of course. Uh, Stu Sutcliffe was born in Edinburgh. Um, but I just thought, let's claim John Lennon as well. Why not? <laughs> OK, good. All right, now. This is more obvious, I suppose. Uh, the World War II prison camp phenomenon, um, that, th this is obviously a thing. I mean, how prevalent a thing is it in Scotland? How, how, much, how, how common is this knowledge? <clears throat> I mean, these were internment camps. So at the beginning of World War II, what happened was we started to mistrust our neighbours and our friends, the people who sold us bread in the morning, the people who ran the local ice cream shop or the German deli. And Churchill announced that he wanted them all locked up. And um, we duly locked up all these people, all the men, uh, not the women and children. Um, the Isle of Man became basically a, a floating prison camp. And they were interned because they were different from us and they might be the enemy. And we were being told that anybody who wasn't like us was the enemy. And, yeah, there were lots of them in Scotland. I mean, there were over a thousand in the UK. You can look on Wikipedia. There were well over a thousand in the UK and there were a few dozen in, Ed in Scotland, um, of which a few still exist as sort of tourist destinations, places where you can go and see what it would have been like to be incarcerated there. Um, and, and I just thought it was an extraordinary story. And I came across it um, years ago in a newspaper. There was an interview with someone who was writing a book about it. I stuck it away in a folder called Ian's Big Folder of Ideas, which is what I do. <laughs> and then when it comes time to start a new book, I get out Ian's Big Folder of Ideas Love and I it. sit through it Love looking it. for something that, that grabs my attention. Now, this, this cutting from a newspaper, hadn't grabbed my attention the, the four or five times previously I'd looked at it. Mm. But it was something to do with the present day, I think, actually. It was something to do with the fact that, you know, I can see us heading in that direction again, this polarisation, friends and enemies, 
you're with us or against us, yeah. uh, the rise of the right in various countries around the world, um, the sense that, you know, you're only ever one or two steps away from the past coming back to haunt you. What I love about this, which is why you're such a genius, is that it starts off, you know, what you you set it up, but it's so normal for, you know, somebody's, somebody's, somebody's alleged to have been murdered, Some, somebody's suspected to have been murdered, and um, somebody else has gone missing. And that's where you start. And and when do you feel confident enough to, to start weaving the twists in to that very simple, almost binary beginning, as far as the reader's concerned, compared to how far you are along that journey yourself? How much do you need to know about those twists and turns before you start to introduce them into the book? I, 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 don't, I don't know anything about them when I introduce them to the book. I make it up as I go along. I mean, people go, no, come on. A lot of people who don't read crime fiction reckon it must be reverse engineered. Yep. You start at the end with, yep. the, with the, what happened and then you work your way backwards, uh-huh. putting in all the clues. No, I start at the beginning and I'm very linear in my thinking. And as I go along, I am the detective. I know as little as the detective. As the detective is meeting people, asking them questions, finding out about their life, how to connect to other people. So I'm finding out about that. So it's usually two-thirds of the way through the first draft when I suddenly go, oh, you did it. You know, you are the killer, and this is why you did it. But it always comes as a lovely surprise to me. when it, when it, it, And if it comes as a surprise to me, Chris, yes. I reckon it might be coming as a surprise to you as the reader. Well, that's why you're so clever, Ian. That's why you do this for a living at the age of 60, sunny at 60. <laughs> How far do we go? Uh, do you want to say anything else about the plot of this one? Because I've gone as far as um, everything I've read has advised me to go. Have we gone far enough with this? Yeah. You sure? I mean, the thing I would say, I mean, the thing, the, the, the thing I would say about the book is, I mean, basically it's about a father... Who, who, whose daughter is, it may have committed a crime, and he does. And is he going to be a father and try and protect her at all costs, even if that means framing someone, or is he going to be a detective because he's a detective to his very DNA? And if it ends up she did it, he's going to put her away. That is the moral dilemma that at is. the heart of the book. All right, pal. Well, um, great to talk to you, Ian. Thank you so much for your time. No, man, I really appreciate it. Thanks very much. All Enjoy right, the rest of your day. I'm off for some coffee and chocolate. <laughs> All right, five-pack if available. Ian Rankin, the new John Reba thriller is out now, a song for the dark times. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Right, we've heard from three top-notch guests already, but there's still so much more to come. The man that brings the sass to Strictly, Craig Revel Horwood, darlings, takes us through his new novel, his debut novel, Dances and Dreams on Diamond Street. Sounds great, set in Camden in the 90s. Fellow judging partner, Her Royal Highness the Queen of Strictly, Shirley Ballas, tells wonderful stories from her new autobiography, Behind the Sequins. Hell-raising screamer and thoroughly nice bloke, Corey Taylor from Slipknot and Stone Sour, discusses his brand-new solo album, CMFT. Bonafide national acting treasure Rupert Everett reveals the hard graft behind making the movie that nearly broke him in his new memoir, To the End of the World. All of that and more still to come. So let's get right back to the action. Dapper Dave, who's next? <laughs> 
I'll tell you what I want, what I really, really want. It's new music from Mel C. Well, stop right now and say thank you very much because it's here. Her new album, Melanie C, is out now and here to tell us more is the go-to spice in anyone's rack. It's the one and only Melanie C. Hi, Melanie. What an intro. Good morning, everyone. He's the best, isn't he? <laughs> Absolutely. So here you come, You here you arrive in your newsreader's outfit with your newsreader's glasses. If only we had a bulletin for her to read. Oh, we do. She's very welcome it's to do the, the 10, 10 o'clock. o'clock. What's going down with you? What's been happening? What's been going on? Oh my goodness, what a world we are living in. Yeah, I, I know, I know. Um, I've released a new album this week. I know. Which has been brilliant but weird yeah. in these times. And it's kept me focused and it's kept me busy through the weirdness. So I'm very excited and it's lovely to be here to chat to you about it. So this is your eighth solo album? Yeah. Can How did that it? happen? I know, it's been a long time. Wannabe is going to be 25 next year. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a long time, isn't it? And I've kept busy. And you know what? I feel really grateful that I'm still here and still able to release music. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, so many industries are being affected by the pandemic. Music is one of them, live music. So, you know, my heart goes out to everybody who's struggling through this time. Yeah, absolutely. Now, you ha- still have a tour scheduled for next year. Um, we've just heard in the last half an hour that live music is back at the O2. From when is it, Rich? Live music back at the O2? from December. Okay, and so what they're going to do is they're going down from a capacity of 20,000 to they're going to have 4,700. So it's beginning to come back, which is amazing. Oh, it's so good. And you know what? Everybody has had to adapt in every area and aspect of their lives. And there has to be a way for live music to come back. You know, it's hard. Obviously, the small venues are really struggling. And I've just announced, actually, we are going to do some acoustic shows at the end of May. I've got a tour April, May. Hopefully, fingers crossed that will happen. But um, I'm trying to support local businesses. Banquet Records in Kingston. You can go down, you can purchase the album and you get a ticket for an acoustic show. And we're doing one in Brighton as well, which will be on the 29th of May. Now, this is a bit serendipitous, isn't it? You know what I'm going to say next, don't you, Vassos? Kingston! Yeah, so yesterday we go to we go to uh, have a conversation with Roger Daltrey at his house for, for the podcast. And ironically, so the Who was supposed to play these massive gigs this year, Wembley Stadium, they played last year as well. Um... And that was all scheduled for the summer. Obviously, that didn't happen, right? Mm. But warming up for this big, massive tour, this, you know, your archetypal Who rock and roll stadium and arena tour, the last gig they happened to have played to date was in Kingston. (laughs) So Kingston's, maybe what's going on with Kingston? Yeah, well, I'm playing a venue called St Luke's. That's exactly, that's where they played. No way. Yes, it is. Well, I'm in good company. (laughs) I know. Aren't I? Well, yeah, I'm going to be getting back in there at the end of May, so... how come I'm you're so playing? Excited. How come you're playing St Luke's? How come you chose St Luke's? Do you know what? It actually it wasn't it wasn't me. I can't take the credit for right. that. It was yeah, it was something that my team came up with and Banquet Records, which is a great record store, independent, yeah. you know, supporting small businesses as uh-huh. well. Um yeah, and they just came up with this brilliant idea. In fact, I'm doing a Q&A tonight as well, which is linked to the record shop. We did loads of vinyl bundles on this al- album, vinyl which is bundle. really fun. Yeah, we did like a blue one and a lilac one and it's so lovely to see vinyl back on the rise and and so lovely to know there are still some record shops out there surviving. I know, I know. Well done to 
everybody who's doing anything, keeping anything going, especially, you know, if you're, if you're experiencing some kind of growth, unbelievable, performing miracles. Uh, now, we know you can hack it um, acoustically because the last time we saw you play acoustically was, <laughs> Rachel? With Alex and the horn section. Woo! Well, I worked with Alex in the summer, actually. We did Peter Crouch's show. Yeah, you did. And it was so good to see him. And we sang When You're Gone on a little bit of it, a little skitty version You sang it. it. <laughs> Alex joined he in. He was great. He was great. But great memories. We had a great day, didn't we? But when was that? A couple of years back? It was it was Christmas, wasn't it? Because it's yeah. Rick Stein's restaurant. It was for children yeah. in need, all those lovely bidders. Um, you popped up, gorgeous, as always. You, you've, been so, you've been so supportive. You keep popping up everywhere. And the frothy coffee man never tells me where, where he's booked you for. And here comes Mel. And you, everybody loves you, Mel. Of course they love you. We love you. And then we all went to the pop quiz. Do you remember afterwards? Oh, my gosh. Well, we were talking about it off air, weren't we? Carnage oh, yeah. is, I think, the word well, I, used I, to uh, describe you know, it. I mean, you know, I've had some experiences in my life. But I think I unraveled that night. I've never had that one. You know where you just unravel? I thought, this is... Di- oh, this is unravel. We got very competitive in the pub quiz. Well, I mean, that was in my local pub. And I was... Not due- anymore. I was due in there a couple of nights later. And I didn't know whether... I mean, for the first time since I was a teenager, I didn't know what sort of reception I'd get in the pub. Whether it would be, do you know what? We did really good business that night, thanks. Or whether it would be... Do you know what you were doing <laughs> two nights ago? And? Get out. And what did they say? It was a little bit of both. <laughs> Man, it's great to see you. Lovely to see you. Thank okay, you. Um, any, so Spice Girls news might happen when? Any ideas? Is any ideas for... Well, I, you know what? To be realistic, I would love to be back on stage with the girls. I doubt it would happen before 2022, right. unfortunately. But probably then. I hope so. Um, and maybe more global, a bit more global? Um, yeah, that's what I would like. So that's, we'll... that's what I'm pushing for. Me and Mel B are really getting on everyone's nerves. Okay, another movie maybe? <laughs> that's not on the cards at the moment. Come on, Richard E. Grant's now Academy Award nominated. I know. He can't wait to get back How in the role. How amazing is that? No, that'd be amazing. But, you know, obviously this year for me, big year having the solo record yeah, out good there. For you. Uh, but beyond that, hopefully more solo stuff and more spice right. stuff. Well, lovely to see you. Thank you, uh, you too. You're on top, top form. Thank okay, you. so here we go. A little taster of all the tracks from Melanie's eighth album. done a beautiful job there it wasn't I, I, me. I definitely buy this album <laughs> okay <laughs> all right well she doesn't need to but you can melanie c is out now ta-da everybody sorry ta-da, ta-da! everybody <laughs> thanks mel thank you the best of the chris evans breakfast show with sky on virgin radio he's the go-to guy if you want catty critique of your cha-cha but now he's turned his attention from the stage to the page his first ever novel dances and dreams on diamond street is out now and here to tell us how it all came together waltz and all it's the Strictly Slayer himself, Craig Revel Horwood. Darling, <laughs> where have you been all my year? How are you? Oh, I've been sitting waiting for you, darling. <laughs> oh, sitting well, waiting. Well, now I'm yeah, here. No, 
You are, and it's fantastic. Good morning, all. Good morning, good morning. Dances and dreams on Diamond Street. Pray tell what might go on within this tome. It's um, it's based on true stories, really. Uh, from you know all the all the ones, the stories I couldn't actually put into my autobiography, <laughs> and I thought, what can I do with all these wonderful stories? Right. And in lockdown, I thought, I know, I'll write. A book. <laughs> so um, I based one of the characters, Danny Hall, who is a dancer who's coming to a crossroads in his life and wants to become a choreographer. Uh, I know there's a parallel there, definitely with me. And uh, so I've kept him as the sort of main person in the book. And it's about all these people living in Camden Town in 1994 uh, in a house share. And all the trials and tribulations of that. It's sort of like Tales of the City meets Sex in the City, if you like, but set in 1994 in Camden and uh, based on all those wonderful stories. You know, there's some fantastic stories in there about life in general, but mainly all of the characters are at a crossroads in their life and all trying to become something in London in the big smoke. They've come from all over the world and met in this one sort of nucleus and uh, it's all their dilemmas really uh, there's romance in it of course it's a bit offbeat there's funny moments there's some really sad moments but um it's a novel and fiction obviously but um based on a set of truths i suppose that i've embellished you know to make the characters rounder and bigger and bolder and uh, it was so much fun to write i've got to say in lockdown and gave me something a creative outlet because of course uh, all the theatre work that I had planned for this year has completely dried up and gone on to next year. So um, I was left, like a lot of people, sort of hung and sort of quartered, really, in a way. So it was wonderful to be able to do something, you know, uh, creative with my time. And that's what I did. Well, it sounds really juicy. I love it. Um, first of all, I love the fact it's in the 90s and it's in Camden because I lived in Camden in the 90s in a bed seat, you know, and there's London, and, but then there's Camden in London and then, you know, through in the 90s. And it was so yeah. exciting, wasn't it, Craig? Yeah, I loved it. I, it. All the shops were still shops. And actually, the market, Camden Market, as you probably remember, was still an antiques market and fair and stuff like that. So it was a really bohemian sort of time to be there. And it's just when fax machines had come out as well. And some people, if they could afford them, had mobile phones, you know. So there wasn't that explosion of technology yet you know so people had to actually if you're going to meet up with someone you had to put that in your file of bags and say right i'll meet you at camden town station at one o'clock and there's always the dilemma of how long do you wait for someone it's so true um, so true yeah i used to get i used to get fridays off because i used to work monday thursday and saturday and monday thursday and sunday rather and i used to get fridays off and that waiting for your mate to turn up to come up those escalators at Camden Town yeah. Tube Station because we had a market stall. We had a market stall at the stables, um, yeah. and, and being a stall holder was really cool because you were part of the, you were part of the the, the network, the, the wiring of the place. I remember that. I actually came down and saw you in your stall, darling. <laughs> Did you, really? <laughs> Yeah, I wasn't. I wasn't anyone then. Um, <laughs> And it was great. I went to come and have a look and see, you know, a star in action. And yeah. it was brilliant. It was but, um, you know, there were so many fantastic stories associated with my five years living at that particular house. And, um, and I really and truly was at a crossroads in my life as well at the same time. And, you know, those people became my ultimate friends. They really, really did. And, uh, 
I'm still friends with them to today. And and the beauty is, of course, I've written this book and I've, I have told them about it, but they'll all be guessing who they are, of course, in the novel, you know, because it is based on a lot of the stories you know, that went on in that particular yeah. time and period, which is fun. Well, I, I love, I've got it. I haven't read it, I'll be honest with you, Craig, but I've got it in my bag and I'm going to read it. It sounds amazing. Have you read it? Oh, you will love it. Oh, hang on, Rachel's, Rachel has read it. Hello, I've started Hello. it and I love it. It flows so easily. The characters just spring to life off the page. Honestly, I'm really into Are fiction you in? and Are novels. You in? But you, you write brilliantly. How long did it take you to do it? It's, well, it was a year, really, but, I mean, the, the hardest work, I suppose, happened actually uh, in lockdown. You know, that's when you, when I had time to look at it rather than sort of banging anything out. I decided to have a re-look at it, make sure all the characters sort of worked in a way, you know. So I had time this time to do to do it. You know, a lot of times when you're writing, it's you have to put everything together really, really quickly. So it was really lovely to go back over it and also offer it up to my sister, who's a wonderful writer, and say, Sue, what do you think? You know, and the other two. You've got time to actually talk about it and talk through the characters really well. So uh, that was that was the most exciting thing. And I've got so many stories left in me. Oh, well. oh can't the wait. Beauty is, can't I wait. Know, but the beauty is it's fiction, so you can go absolutely anywhere Crazy. you like with oh. the characters. Right, we've got to go, Craig. Uh, listen, oh, thanks no. so much. Yes, yeah, so, so much. Uh, thanks so much for being on Dancing Dreams on Diamond Street. Rachel's uh, read a couple of chapters. I'm definitely going to read it this it's weekend. A perfect half term page flicker. Go, page flicker? Yeah. I've never heard of a page flicker before. <laughs> Thank you, Craig. Good, good night, good night. Bye bye. Ta da. Bye. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. Waltzing her way to the top of the Strictly Come Dancing Tree, our next guest has been there and done it. Her autobiography behind the sequence is out now, so please stand back as we pass her doble out the red carpet. For the best the ballroom has to offer, it's the brilliant Shirley Ballas. Hi, Shirley. Hello. You look amazing. <laughs> and this is about the, the, the BBC wardrobe and all the lights and all the makeup. You look stunning. Thank you. Wow. Sexy at 60. That's yeah. what it is, you and see. Beyond and beyond and forever. Uh, behind the sequence, out now in Hardbook, as Dapper Dave uh, rightly pointed out there. So it's caused a few headlines already. Uh, what's been the juicy spits that's caused the most fuss so far? Well, I think generally um, people have enjoyed reading. It's an inspiring journey. Yes, yes. You know, it's got all the family things in. It's got the husbands I was married to and fiancés and drama and everything coming at a personal huge cost. My brother's suicide. There's There's been a lot of headlines, people picking out different parts in the book. It's. I think it's really quite inspiring. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to write an autobiography, you know, write one or don't bother. And you've definitely gone for the for the former option there. I mean, you know, no stone unturned. Correct. I would imagine. I, did, well, I don't know, but I would imagine that's the case. So um, talent, love and honesty. Um, wonderful. Uh, where do we begin? Um, I suppose we start with your most prized possession, which I would imagine were those dancing shoes your mum bought you. Oh, yes. The little dancing dress and the shoes that yeah. I never let go of when I was about seven. Because yeah. if I'd have lost those, I certainly wasn't getting another pair, that's for sure. Okay, so in Citizen Kane, it's his sledge, it's his rosebud. But for you, it's, it's that dress and those shoes. And your mum could barely afford them at the time, I'm imagining. She, she couldn't. So she used to save up and save up and she had about three jobs and... She just did everything that she could to put me through dance, even though her friends told her, you're wasting the t your time. This child will never get off a housing estate. And I love the line that she put in the book. It was a very, very difficult to give her what she needed, but I guess I backed the right horse. <laughs> so I think that she had the last laugh with her friends yeah. at the end of the day. And not too far from Aintree, where the Grand National is from, ah, of course. Ah, you see. Uh, so on the Wirral, what, what was dancing 
and and the, what was the 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 relationship between your kind of dancing and and the world of the Wirral when you were a little girl? Well, the world of the Wirral was just a very small space to me because I was just used to the housing estate. And I think I was very fortunate that they put the dancing classes on at the local church hall and that I used to do the guides there. So I'd go there every week and then suddenly this um, dancing started and I just fell in love with the music. I can still remember it was wheels. It was called wheels. It was a cha-cha-cha. And uh, I just asked the guy, I said, you know, I'd love to be able to do this. And he said, oh, we're starting children's class. And that was it. So I would rather think that dancing found me. You know, that music. I was just so inspired. Well, it's, it's so, so interesting, isn't it? Because as a kid, you know, as kids, we often have, well, we always seem, we seem to have more time than as grown-ups. And they're what, they're, we gave ourselves time and space for things to be able to find us as opposed to chasing things. Because you didn't have any means to chase them anyway. Didn't even own a bike, most of us. <laughs> but didn't have a phone for years and years and years, things like that. And do you think you obviously loved it straight away? You know, d- does love, passion, um, commitment equal talent or is, is love plus talent equaling success? Did you feel like you were naturally talented or not? Well, I don't think at seven you realise that. What I did have and which I got from my mother was immense work ethic. So I wouldn't say I was the most talented but definitely the most dedicated. So I was the one that never missed the classes come rain or shine. Yeah. I walked there all the time, two, two miles to get there, didn't have the bus fare, and I never missed it. So I would say I had obviously some talent, not the most talented, mm. but I was probably the most dedicated. Did you find it difficult at all? I found everything in my life to be quite difficult. It just always never seemed like a straight line. There was always obstacles in the way, so everything right throughout my life just always felt like I was constantly swimming upstream. I get that, but not the, but that's why I asked the question. But how about the dancing? Was the dancing the one thing that didn't feel like that? The, the dancing was the one thing I could lose myself in and totally immerse myself in. And the love of music and the love of movement throughout the body was what captivated me. So there was a flow there. There was a freedom there within it. At the flow, the freedom, the sense of escape from a housing estate where everybody was doing all, up to all sorts of things. Yeah. And I felt like I was occupied with something that was just immensely musically moving. I, I just love it. I still love it to this day. You can day. tell, you can tell. And you talk about it. When you talk about that, you talk in a different voice. You have a different look in your eyes when you talk about anything else. Uh, so what was the first tipping point? What was the first point of realisation where not only yourself, if, if yourself at all, but those around you thought, actually, we might be onto something here with this one? Well, it was my mother. She said she couldn't believe how I used to walk up there in the rain, in the snow, never missed. And she said, while ever you do that, I will continue to try to provide to the best I can. So she took loads and loads of menial jobs and did different. We'd sew the sequins on, we'd do everything ourselves. And she, she was just determined that while ever I tried that hard and never gave up, she would equally try. And I think that, you know, by age 11 I got the opportunity to get a little boy partner and then it all began to be more difficult because then you couldn't you didn't have we didn't have a car so I used to have to get two buses and a train at age 10 and 11 through Liverpool running across from the Ribble bus station to the train station I can still remember it back then there was no social media so you weren't so aware of things that happen now to young kids and things but 
there was still that feeling that it was like scary in the dark. Yeah, yeah. Always finding, I had to find my way everywhere and I had to find my return journey home. All right, well done, Shirley. Great to thank see you. you. You're on fine form. Oh, You're on really, you. really, really excellent form. Shirley Ballas, Behind the Sequence, out now, a proper, proper book. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. From the power of Slipknot to the melodic rock of Stone Sour, his music has defined a generation. His debut solo album, CMFT, is out now. And here to tell us all about it is a man that was wearing a mask way before it became law. It's the legendary voice of the one, the only, Corey Taylor. Good morning, Las Vegas. Good morning, Corey (laughs) Taylor. How you doing, man? What's going on? Well, everything's going on here. Thank you for staying up so dang late. What time is it there now? It's almost one in the morning. It's almost one in the morning. We're doing good, but we're good. We're good. I'm trying not to wake my kids up, you know. You sound really sort of with it. Well, I I snuck into the kitchen and ate a bunch of sugar. So now I'm like (laughs) kind of ready, you know? I bet you didn't. Uh, Corey, for people who don't know, and forgive me for this, but I just want people to to have an idea of who I'm talking to in a bit of past, you know, like like an alien landing. You know, this is Corey Taylor. This is my friend Corey, and this is what he used to do. So, and still does. So, Slipknot, just, you know, can you give us just half a minute on Slipknot for people who aren't aware of Slipknot? Oh, dear God. Uh, We're the the band that scared the hell out of everybody about 21 years ago, and We still get to do it. Nine dudes who play metal with masks, coveralls. Like it's 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 still crazy that we still get to do this. To be honest, like I, it's pretty rad. You came on my show on TFI Friday. It was I think it was your yes. first live performance out of, out of the US, and I can't tell you. I mean, yeah. you know. It wasn't an unexciting show, TFI Friday. Lots of things happen on it, usually on a weekly basis. But the the feather when you said you guys were going to turn up, it was it was it was unprecedented. <laughs> now, why do you think you caused such a stir? What the heck was it about your? And still do, but people know who you are now. But I mean, what, what was what was right. going on? What, what was the the elixir? What was the magic potion then? I think it was the right band at the right time. You know, we had the right uh, music. Because the the music was ferocious, it was genre bending. We also had the look, we had the art. You know, we weren't coming off as a gimmick. We were coming off as something that was more art metal than anything else. And I think because of all that stuff, it was just so ethereal and esoteric and visceral that just people responded to it. Yeah. For and and they still do, which is I mean, we're pretty fortunate, man. Yeah, no, unbelievably so. And you, by the way, you sum it up really well there because, you know, the kids that are in our audience, the kids watching the TV show at the time, not just here, but all over the world, kids love different. They just want different. Yeah. They want different t- today. They want it tomorrow. They want different forever until they become the same. Right, exactly. I mean, and it's for us. I mean, that was the whole reason that we started Slipknot was because we just kept waiting for a band to do the type of music that we wanted to hear and nobody was doing it. So we just decided to do it on our own, you know? And and once we did that, once we took that initiative, we just, we ran with it and we're still doing it. All uh, right. So that's Slipknot. And then there's Stone Sour. Right. Now, Stone Sour happened because why? Well, Stone Sour was the band that I was in and left to join Slipknot in 1997. I started putting Stone Sour back together when I felt like I wasn't getting a chance to write enough music in Slipknot. And that was largely because the guys in Slipknot write so well in that style that, of course, it made sense that, you know, they would handle a lot of like the music and stuff. But I still felt like I had a lot of music to contribute. So that the ashes of that old band kind of started to come back up 
And I was able to kind of pick up uh, the role as a singer-songwriter again. You sound so stable. You sound so calm. You sound like it's always been good. Has it always been good? No, no. God, no. <laughs> no, no, man. I was, uh, I mean, I was a mess for, you know, especially in the beginning. You know, it's like when we really started to take off, I mean, you're talking about basically babies who were now thrown into the mouths of fame and, and all of the trappings that kind of went around with it, man. So I... You know, all those cliches that we fought against all came crashing in on us like, you know, waves on a sandcastle. And I got caught up in it. Um, you know, there was probably a good four or five years that are are a complete blur and pretty blank for me. Really? Um, but I remember waking up one day and really going, you know, I don't want to do this anymore. You know, like and, you know, the, my sobriety had some stutters and starts and whatnot. But then. About 10 years ago, I, I, I had my last drink and that was it. And I've been sober ever since. Uh, and I'm just slowly but surely really kind of trying to, you know, stay healthy and be able to do this for another 20 years, you know? Well, you have that, you have that air about you. You have, you have a, a, the air of a human being that, because they call about, they, they talk about recovery, of course, that's the term used. But there's a, right. I heard it framed this morning as returning as well. And I really like that, returning to who you hopefully really are returning do you like like returning that's great yeah and and honestly in a way it can also mean returning to the ideal that you hope to be you know like not even necessarily coming back to who you used to be but that you know we all start out with that idea of who we'd like to be as people and when you when you when you give all that up when you when you get rid of the haze and the fog and you really start to kind of come back to that ideal that you really wished you could be, that's when it becomes achievable, you know? And that reality is just out of reach. So you just dedicate every day to trying to, you know, be that person, especially when you have a family. Yeah, I agree entirely. Corey, it's, it's, a, it's a joy to talk to you, my friend. Joy to talk to oh, you. Oh, thanks, man. Thank oh. you. And how was the gig on Friday? You played a live I'm, gig, I'm just you? glad I'm coherent. Yeah, man. Yeah, it was rad. I, yeah, we did, this, we did this big thing from the forum and... I, it was, it was strange. Like we were giving it and giving it and then we'd get done with the song and then you could just hear silence. You could hear the decay in the back of the room. And it was just like, okay, this is probably the weirdest show we've ever played, but it was so rad. And the reaction has been great. Like people are really digging it and we played the album and it's full. Corey, can I, can I tell you for once and for all, that was not the weirdest show you've ever played? No, no. (laughs) Because I don't know if you've won, but you're in Slipknot. Anyway, rock and roll, my friend. Give our love to Las Vegas. Good luck with the virtual homeschooling. Uh, Come and see us when you can. You are the man. Um, Corey Taylor's brand new album, CMFT. Can't tell you what most of that stands for. Is out now. Corey Taylor, what a lovely man. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. Dabber Dave has another big intro for us. Who's next, David? If you thought making movies was all glitz and glam, then think again. His third memoir, To the End of the World, is out tomorrow and details the real hard graft. Here to tell us all about it is not simply an actor. He is a thespian, and he is the very best of them. It's the brilliant Rupert Everett. Good morning, (laughs) Ripper. Good morning. How are you? We're very well. Um, Your book is amazing. You're such a good writer, Mr. Everett. Oh, thank you very much. That's so sweet to say so. Uh, Rupert, you, you write so beautifully. You talk so eloquently. Um, do you, do you, you're a brilliant actor. You're a fantastic 
storyteller. But I think I think writing is where it's at for you, but it's not really what you do for a living. And I always worry about you. I always think, you know, from your stories in your books, you know, is he all right? Does he need a few quid? Do I need to worry? <laughs> what's going down at the moment with you? I definitely need a few quid. That's true. But um, what's going down at the moment? No, everything's good, really, um, I think, for the most part. Um, uh, lockdown uh, started for me. I was on Broadway doing a play. And uh, we'd done eight performances and uh, someone in our theatre was one of got COVID and we closed down with all the other theatres. And, and my lockdown, you know, I was very lucky to have started writing a bit because I've always had uh, something to do in the lockdown. And I think uh, I feel really sorry for everybody who, you know, didn't couldn't go to their job in a way. And I could keep on with mine sort of. But, you know, I, I love Dickens. I love um, Oscar Wilde. And if you read any paragraph from either of those two, you know, oh, to write, you know, any any single paragraph like that, one paragraph like that in your life, let alone, you know, page after page, book after book. And, and Rupert, you can't say this about yourself, but I think you're the same. I think, I think your words... Um, have a certain otherworldliness to them, a certain flow, a certain ease and a certain elegance and a certain magic and a certain wit. There's very rare, you know, in in literary talent. And you've, you've won all these awards every time you write something. Why don't you write more? Well, I do. The thing is, I would love to be uh, like Dickens, but having been brought up as an actor and being used to working in a group, the solitary discipline has been the thing that's been hardest for me to conquer over the writing years. And the kind of thing that happens to you if you're an acting writer, you, you quite often get despondent. Uh, whereas if you'd started off writing and got used to it more and be able to just churn it out more, that's what I'm aiming at uh, for the future in a way. Um, and, and I think writing is, um, I, I, I would love to do more writing, uh, but it just takes, it's quite laborious for me. Yeah, so, so it takes a long time to get funny, it out. That's it's, what I'm it's saying. Fun, no, it's funny that you say that because it feels as a reader that it, it comes easy to you, but that's just not the case you're saying. No, I think what I'm good at is I can I can I can I can make things a lot better that I've written. Uh, right. So I tinker away at my writing quite a lot, and I think that's what the, what what helps it a bit. All right, let's talk about the book. It is it is amazing. Um, it's a story about many things. Once again, it's a story about you, and you are self-deprecating throughout, but not in a desperate way to to excuse what you do. You do it in a witty way. It's great. It's not an excuse. It's really funny. Um, and good. the Happy Prince, this this mad film that I loved, and you came in into the show and you talked. Yeah, we did. talked about it, and I I I was like I was so sort of buoyance about it and even then you had sort of a look of doom if not gloom about you and you said I'm not so sure it's going to do all that and you were right and I was wrong but before we get there um, let's talk about uh, 10 years in the making uh, just just give people um, look back and give people a sort of 10,000 foot um, take on, on the story the particular aspect of Oscar Wilde's life you wanted to tell in your film and you've now written about making in your book well, uh, the thing that really fascinates me about Oscar Wilde uh, is that, in fact, I think he was the first out gay man in modern history. That's to say, uh, he lived in Paris, he uh, was famous, or rather infamous, and you could look at him in the street and recognize him and say, that is a homosexual man. And in a way, <laughs> that was the first time that that had happened, because before that, it had been, it, it had been whispers. Uh, only and something that nobody talked about, but with the with his face came, I think, uh, uh, the road to gay liberation. So for me, 
he is the Christ figure, much better than Christ. Now, before you go, you've got to tell the story, if you don't mind, about when you were in America and you were there for a preview and that, that didn't go you know, as you would have wished it to. And you happened to be staying in the hotel that was outside <laughs> the venue for the Golden Globes and your good old sparring partner and fellow Thesp, Richard E. Grant, who you, uh, your brother's from another mother, as far as I'm concerned, happened mm. to be pulling up in a limo outside to go to the Golden Globes to see after party uh, to, after party with his beautiful wife and mm -hmm. you would just happen to be there to looking down on this a sight you have witnessed yourself first person mm -hmm. uh, many times before but not that particular night now what did you consider doing what crossed your mind to maybe well, save your film when you saw him from a loft several floors up in your hotel room well, um, a friend of mine had very sweetly sent me a lovely um, hash chocolate bar, a marijuana chocolate bar, and I'd been nibbling away at it, feeling very depressed. And then I got rather cheerful. <laughs> and then suddenly I saw, because I realised that the Golden Globes after party was happening in my hotel, so it meant I couldn't even go downstairs without looking like a desperate wannabe. And I cruised the Golden Globes, I mean, you know, with abandon to try and get a nomination and had failed. And then to add in, insult to injury, Rich, uh, Richard E. Grant and his wife arrived in a flat blaze of flash bulbs downstairs. And, um, and I thought, well, what I should really do is throw myself out of the window now and land splat at their feet ruin their evening, at least somebody would then have, have to go and see my film. Uh, <laughs> but, of course, uh, I thought better, but I love it. So do I. Rupert, listen, um, thank you, Chris, thank you. Thank you so much. Oh, mate. For me. And by the way, do you remember when you came in and I loved the film? Why, why did, yeah. before you go, why didn't people like the Blimmin' film? It's a great film. Well, they did like the film, I think. It got great reviews, by the way. Uh, the thing was, the heat wave really kind of did it in. That was it? Uh, I think that was, I mean, you know, everyone searches for reasons and there are no reasons, but there was a massive heat wave in the four weeks uh, after the film came out. No, I think it did, it did good and it had, it had wonderful reviews. It just didn't do, you know, I, I dreamt of receiving four Oscars. Yeah, I know you did. And dangling at least two, uh, one from each ear. But that never happened. Right. But in your dreams, in your dreams. Let's keep those dreams going, Rupert, shall we? We will. Yeah, keep the dream. All Lots right. of love. Thank you very much indeed. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. Thank you so much for listening to this, the podcast of the Virgin Radio Breakfast Show. Don't forget you can subscribe and get it every week from wherever you get your podcast. And you will never miss the weekly roundup of all the best bits from our Virgin Radio Breakfast Show with Sky. 